0: I'm gonna read all of Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Uh, You can open in your own Bibles or read on the screen or just listen. All of these are great options. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, He lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an arrow proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves." He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what it to be, and who can tell him what, be, what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this, your word. God, we thank you that you speak to your people. God, that we can open up this book and hear the word of God is a gift. And Father, we need much more than that. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us, not just to hear, but to listen. Father, would you help my mouth and my lips to speak alongside your word, that we all might be pierced by it and our hearts might be inflamed with love for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter ten is um, is a kind of a complicated passage. Uh, it does what a lot of wisdom literature and poetry does it uses these images and cascading series to, to try to lay upon not just your mind but your heart the full picture that is trying to convey to you. in a lot of ways, this feels like a section of Ecclesiastes that that might fit in the book of Proverbs. If you've read the book of Proverbs, um, this might sound similar to that in tone. This idea right here at the beginning, a wise man heart heart, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. This imagery of, of two paths through life, the way of wisdom and the way of folly, is exactly in line with the way that the book of Proverbs works. And so in some ways it feels like the teacher of Ecclesiastes is stepping outside of his, uh, his genre, his, his mode of instruction that we've become maybe used to uh, over these weeks his cynicism in some ways about the world and and even the pursuit of certain kinds of knowledge and wisdom. But here, he seems to be speaking just like the rest of the wisdom literature. There is some indication at the end that that is maybe not precisely what he is doing, but we'll come back to that. This, I think, there's a number of ways to to read this series of sections on the the wise life or the foolish life, but because of the way that it starts relatively at the beginning and then at the end, speaking about kings and rulers, I think it's helpful to read this in the context of a, a whole chapter on instruction for wise governance and what it means to have a wise and just king. Obviously, this is something that is at the heart of a lot of wisdom literature. If you read ancient Near Eastern wisdom literature, if you read the book of Proverbs, at the heart of it is kind of this idea that wisdom is meant to help a a new young ruler grow up and be the kind of king they were meant to be. But here, we're also meant to look at what life is like when you have a king who is wise versus what it's like when you have a king who is a fool. And this is the language of the scriptures, the wise one and the fool. And we kind of come into those distinctions and make mistakes. We assume that when they're talking about these words, they're talking about somebody who is smart and somebody who is dumb. But if you read the text that way, you will make mistakes and you will miss significant parts of what you are being told about the life of wisdom. In fact, if you read the scriptures, oftentimes many of the ignorant people, the people who on paper know less, show themselves to be wise. Because they understand what it is they ought to do based on the law and the character of God. Much of the instruction about wisdom is not about SMART, it's not about intellectualism, it is largely about character. Wisdom is rooted in the character of the wise one. It does matter that you're competent, that you're proficient, that you make good decisions, that you make good plans, you can read the book of Proverbs and see that kind of instruction all the time, But if you only think that what God wants for you in order to be wise is to be smart, then you'll miss all kinds of the heart of wisdom literature, which is about your heart. And you can see here in these descriptions of these issues that foolish kings have, that these are in fact character issues that are being discussed for the foolish king. You can see here, in the middle here, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his words, of his mouth, is foolishness, and the end of his talk is madness. He's somebody that runs his mouth with no real substance or content. No no understanding of what lies at the end of his discourse. You can see... Here that it talks about the the fruit of laziness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. This sort of inability to control yourself and run your mouth, the inability to get to work and to do good work, to do hard work, these are not the issues of smarts. These are the issues of character. And so there is no version of being a person of wisdom in the scriptures that is divorced from being a person of character. They they are meant to live in the same place because wisdom in the biblical understanding flows from the law of God, which flows from the person of God. And the law of God talks about what it is you should do, what is moral, and it talks about what is smart to do. And so if you divorce either of those components from your understanding of wisdom, you'll have a shallow understanding of what the biblically wise person ought to do. The wise king ought to be a person who is faithful, who is the one who understands when it is to party and not to party. Did you hear it's a curse when the princes are partying in the morning and not the evening because they should be working in the morning is what they should be doing. And they're doing it the wrong order. The the king ought to exercise justice so that the the order of things is rightly established. You can hear this to our ears, strange illustration. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. This is not a commentary on the, the goodness or badness and it is bad, of slavery. This is not the author saying, ha-ha, we've freed the slaves, which is what our ears as Americans sort of instinctively understand that the text is talking about. This is not a comment on that. This is talking about the normal and ordinary social structure is completely imbalanced. Oftentimes the assumption is, in wisdom literature, if you're wealthy it's because you have good character and you've worked hard and you're wealthy for a reason. Now the the teacher has already at length told us that we know that's not always the case. But in the mode of wisdom literature, theoretically, society is supposed to work where there is an order and a structure, and when the king is foolish, everything gets flipped on its head. Everything is out of order. Things are not good because there is no wisdom in execution, and there's no wisdom in the king's character. And we live in a place in a time that values the flash the power of being king. But we lack the honoring of the character of the one who is wise. Now probably because you and I do not live in a monarchy, you and I naturally read this through the lens of our own political system. And so you translate king, cross that out, find and replace, president, senator, representative, city council, blah, blah, blah. And what's easy to do is say, that politician on the other team that I hate, obviously, they're the fool. And I, on the correct team, with all of my teammates, we are the wise ones. And everything is either messed up, because we don't have power, or because we don't have enough power, and if we would just get into power, then all of my representatives, the ones on my team, we would display the wisdom of the world and set things to rights and all of this. The problem is, that we live in a world that is systemically more interested in fools who run their mouths without substance than we are people of character. And that, that is not one political party's problem. That is both political parties' problem. And if you can't see that, it's because you are captive to your own political party system that wants one thing from you your vote, to stay in power. Because we, on our own platforms, regularly see evidence of the people that we either like or dislike, support, or don't support, having people pull their own words from the past that directly contradict the things that they are now currently saying. And everybody just says, okay, look over here at the shiny thing. Don't look at that thing and the inconsistency of my character. And everybody, by and large, kind of just jumps in the boat. Because the danger of the other team is so profound that we kind of just have to get on board with these jokers or we're going to be left with these ones. That is not a system that is invested in character and wisdom. That is a system primarily obsessed with foolishness. It is flash, it is surface, it is vacuous, it is nothing. I'm not telling you that your favorite politician is a joke. It's very possible though. (laughs) I don't know who your favorite is. I don't know that we want to get into that. And what's even more complicated is we live in a place where you have to make a choice, right? Theoretically, you're supposed to go in a place and say, well, this person should be king or queen, whatever. And how do you make that decision? How do you complete that calculus? I don't know. I don't have instruction for you. It's difficult and complicated, and Christians have struggled with it for centuries. I wish you good luck. What I can tell you, though, is the Bible is going to insist... That the character of the king matters in the evaluation of their wisdom or their foolishness. And the land is in trouble when a fool is on the throne. And we ought to take that to heart. As we are people of this place and this time, what do we do as we push those buttons and pull those levers? Now, the truth is, though, that that this figure of kingship and the importance of, of leadership, power, and authority is extended beyond the halls of governmental power. The king or queen of any given institution has these same things said about them. So it's not just woe to the land If the king is a fool, it's woe to your business if your boss is a fool. Woe to your church if your elders are fools. Because God delegates authority and responsibility into many people's hands. Never leaving the entirety of creation under any one person's care but certainly delegating to his image bearers the responsibility and the opportunity to reflect his wisdom and goodness in their affairs. It is probably most helpful as people who come to church, if you're members of Valley Hope, to think about this kind of instruction as you do the things of ordinary church life, like nominate and vote for church officers. If the leadership of any given place and institution is more valued for their pragmatic ability to acquire results, to appear successful, to run their mouths with pretty speech, but their lives are bankrupt, the wisdom of God then woe to us if fools hold the reins of power. God intended for wisdom to flow throughout the earth not as a reflection of the leaders ultimately, but a reflection of the king who made heaven and earth. If you and I... Aspire to the task and the responsibility of leadership. If you and I want to put our eyes upon the offices that govern our businesses, our churches, our governmental places, we ought to begin asking the question seriously, do I know the character of this person to the degree that I can? And is my confidence in the substance of them or only the things that reflect off the surface. The house will fall apart if people without character are the ones who make all the decisions. The roof will fall in and crush all who gather under it. Power is a way of achieving results. It is the ability to do work. If you have taken a physics class, you know this very basic definition. Power is the ability to do work. And the power in the thrones, the power in the places of leadership and privilege is there to accomplish the work of God. Be it the administration of justice, the protection of the weak, the maximization of profit for the flourishing of employees and the community. The power is there to do good work. But at the end, it is not just power that is in view. This strange thing that he says... Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Money answers everything? Where did that come from? This is the subtle but powerful indication that the teacher may not be up to only what it appears on the surface. There is a way of viewing life that is two paths that is not just wisdom and folly. There is a way of moving in the world that puts your heart on the pursuit of one path, which is power, and the other, which is the pursuit of riches. In verse 20, there is the kind of paranoia that lives in this kind of way of living. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king. Nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. This is nonsense. It is, it is apparently nonsense. You can't even think a thought against the king or curse the rich because some creature will hear you outside your window and repeat it to somebody. What kind of bizarre fairy tale is being described here? But when you believe the only ways available to you in this life are to hold the reins of power or to possess the bags of riches, your heart will collapse in on itself under the weight of all your scheming. The kings and the thrones are important, and the use of wealth and riches is a power in and of itself. But already in the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher himself has critiqued these particular pathways. He's already said that the accumulation of wealth in a moment is is senseless, it's nonsense, it's going, you're going to die and your money's going somewhere other than you anyway. We already know that the teacher doesn't believe that money answers everything. So what is he demonstrating to you if your only options in this life are the accumulation of power or the accumulation of wealth to control the outcome of all wisdom that is available to you? You are doomed. You are doomed. If all your hopes and ambitions lie and rest on the hooks of kingship and authority and power, you will certainly be destroyed if all your hopes lie there and on your money. In the early church, there are three things that the writings of the early church fathers are primarily interested in, in the reform of these pagan lives as they become Christians. Money, sex, and power. And two of these three are here. Money and power are addictive and deceptive. They are are possible to be used for good. They are meant to be used for good, but clung too closely and too tightly, they will pull you down to the grave itself. The world, the way that it reasons, the wisdom of this world invests everything in wisdom the wisdom of power and money. That's how people who are so foolish can acquire so much power. Because they have so much wealth and they have used that wealth for their own power. And the world is deceived and obsessed. We are so easily sucked into the gravity of their person and we are doomed if money and power becomes the way of wisdom for us, the people of God. There actually are two ways in the world. There actually is a way of wisdom and a way of folly. And if you are living your life as if you must acquire power or money to to make yourself safe, to make yourself valuable, to make yourself who you meant to be, you are already on the wrong path. If all that is available to you is money and power, your feet are running downhill into the darkness as fast as they can take you. There is another road... And it is not just another strategy to become king or to acquire the king's wealth. It is instead what Paul calls the very foolishness that we preach to the Gentiles. It is the wisdom of God made manifest, visible, tangible, and personified. And the God who would king himself on a cross. In the crucified Jesus, we understand what kingship ought to look like. The king who says what he means to do, and he does it. And he does it not for the building of his own kingdom and his own power alone, but the distribution of his power to all who would come and find him. This king does not acquire for himself the riches of this world, but instead puts on himself the robes of a slave to wash your feet. This is a king who doesn't enthrone himself far off in some palace, but instead finds himself on the floor with children safe and winsome enough that little kids can't help but greet him. There are two ways in the world, and this way is the way of the king, the real king, the true king, who is Jesus. He doesn't say to you that he will provide for you all wealth and power. What he says is you'll be willing to give away every single thing that you have. In fact, that this is the only way to live with him where he is. He does not say to you that you will acquire all the power to do everything that you wish to the world, but instead he tells all of his closest friends, the world will come and will do terrible things to you. And you will offer yourself as gladly as I do. Because in this king's broken and split open body, The power of death and darkness is destroyed. This is the wise king. Arrayed before you in the splendor of his own humiliation. And his own exaltation. And the triumph over the grave. You can have your way. Of foolishness which is the way of the world. Or you can have his way which is the way of death, which is somehow life. These two ways are before you right now. If you are here today and you found that your craving and your appetite, your addiction has been to these ways of power and money, you are in very good company. There are many of us here. It is natural to us. It is the air that we have breathed. We have made ourselves safe by our money and by our power. We have achieved status by giving, getting for ourselves titles and acquiring authority to do the best, to do the right things that other fools could not do. We have all been on this quest together. So if you are sitting here and you are realizing I have given my whole life over to the pursuit of power and wealth, you have the opportunity to escape what is meant to upend and destroy your life. Because the king is before you and welcomes you who has rejected him so many times. And if you are here today and you are feeling trod upon, I have no money and I have no power. I don't have the money I should have. I don't have the power I should have. And I think I might be forgotten in this world. I have good news for you too. The king is before you and he has not forgotten you. If you find yourself poor and powerless, you worship a God who is himself crucified by a powerful empire. Who is himself without a place to live who is the enemy of the people for just enough time to find himself killed like a thief. He loves you. And every ounce of his kingly power and authority he has leveraged for his love for you that you might be the beneficiary, the inheritor of riches in him that you cannot even Imagine. You are not forgotten. You are His. The King is before you today. Choose this day which road you will go down. Find yourself on the King's highway, and He will surely bring you home. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You that um, the wisdom and the foolishness of this life are not all that there is to say about us or this world. God, we thank You that the King has inserted Himself in, that He has come and He will come again. God, we we leap to this mystery of faith that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And Father, I pray for us here in this place. I pray for those of us who are captive to the wisdom of this world, to the power and wealth accumulation, to the, to the grips of, of all of the formulas of, of meaning and substance that this world has to offer. God, I pray that you will break that spell you will speak a better word, that all the half-truths do not add up to a whole truth for them or for us, but instead in you is the whole truth. And God, I pray that you would help us to see that more clearly today. Father, I pray for those who are wounded and frustrated and broken and beaten down, their loss of power and wealth and control over their life tells them, the world tells them that they are nothing, that they are meaningless. But Father, I pray that they will hear the truth that you have never lost sight of a single one of your people. That your power is perfected in their weakness. That their inheritance is kept in heaven for them. Imperishable, undefiled. Undefiled. In unfading. That when you said that you will never leave them or forsake them, you meant even them and even now. Father, I pray that we would see these two roads, that our hopes would not be in kings or their horses, but instead that our hope belongs to the Lord. We need you, Lord Jesus. And we are so relieved that there has never been a better king than you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.